Hey there, welcome to part two on my series about existential crisis. In this video, we're gonna dive into the four stages of an existential crisis and how to navigate through it. So the first stage is the pre-existential crisis stage. And I think this is where, to be honest, a lot of people in society sit. They never really leave this first stage. So I wanna call it the innocent prelude. Another name I came up with was the unquestioned beginning. And it's this period of relative innocence. Like think about when you were a kid, right? Like let's say you were six years old. I have a six year old. Um, he doesn't sit around worrying about the meaning of life. He doesn't worry about his purpose. He kind of just exists and does stuff. In some ways, it, it really is a beautiful thing in a way. Like it, he's just not bothered by a lot of the things that I'm bothered by. So along with this sort of almost innocence, it's just an accepting, right? It's an accepting of the cultural norms that are handed to you. You know, I see it with him, and it's one of the things that actually kind of scares me about kids. It's like you can tell them things, and they believe you. And so it worries me because it makes me think of all the different people out there in the world and all the different beliefs and all the contradicting things people could actually believe are true. And they tell it to their kids, and the kid just believes it. You know, a racist will raise a racist unless something happens to that child at some point to kind of break them out of that. You know, if you've got some fringe religious belief, you know, you can teach that to your kid and your kid will believe that. I mean, we tell kids that this man in a red suit comes down your chimney, rides around in a sleigh pulled by magic reindeer, and they believe that wholeheartedly. So the thing that characterizes this stage is that there's just not a lot of scrutiny. You accept the beliefs, you accept the values that are handed to you. And if there is any questioning, it is usually done with the goal of reinforcing the existing beliefs. It's not a systematic breakdown to find a better way. Um, it's more of that looking for the reasons to support the things you already believe. So I think that the thing is, the deeper your indoctrination, the harder it is to get out of this stage and into the next stage. So moving into the second stage, this would be the existential crisis. And I want to call the process of moving from the innocent prelude into the existential crisis, I almost want to say it's like a fall, right? It's like, it's like standing on the edge of a deep ocean and you fall into it and it's bottomless and there's no end and you don't know. You, you've left the firm footing of the shore and you are now in a deep ocean with no bottom. So I wanna call this phase the chasm of uncertainty. And that's really what defines it for me. It's this deep uncertainty about anything at all. So I think to people in the innocent prelude phase, the pre-existential crisis phase, this feeling of un uncertainty is actually a very strange and foreign thing to them. So I think that's why you won't get a lot of sympathy from those people. So moving into the existential crisis, it's almost like going from a time of peace into a time of war. There's like a war in your mind. Deep introspection of yourself, your thoughts, your values, your, your meaning, your purpose. And you know, the, I'm sure the focus of this changes from person to person. For myself, I become very inwardly focused. I'm like analyzing my thoughts, my own internal processes. I'm like picking myself apart. Why am I do, doing certain things? Why am I thinking certain things? Why do I believe X, Y, and Z? 
I start to look for those reasons for everything. So the thing is, I, I don't really think that you can stay in this state very long. It's just too stressful, and I think your brain will remove you out of it. And there's one of two paths that you can take. So at first, I, I had this as a three-step process. There was the pre, then there was the existential crisis, and then there was the post-existential crisis. Everything's great. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that most people don't actually make it past the existential crisis. And although I think that should be the goal to make it into that post phase, I think a lot of people get stuck in this side phase. And I'm gonna call it false resolution. And it's basically this place that you go, you're, you've kind of removed yourself out of the existential crisis, but you haven't fully resolved the issues. You haven't fully resolved the problems. And it's sort of like a rug sweeping. So you've got all this dirt all over the floor, but you've got a rug and you're just gonna sweep it under the rug. And now you got a bit of a mound on, under your rug, right? Like you can see that there's something wrong with that rug. But for now, the dirt's gone. I think the thing about the false resolution phase is it's, it's sort of a temporary phase. And I think what happens is, you know, for myself too, I, I don't know if I've fully gotten out of this existential crisis thing. And I think what happens is you go between existential crisis to false resolution, back to existential crisis, back to false resolution. And it's almost like you can get stuck in this loop and maybe some people never leave. So what are the characteristics of this false resolution phase? I think, first of all, it's like this superficial acceptance. It's almost like an appearance of resolution to all these deep existential questions. And, uh, you know, but I think a lot of times it involves a lot of cognitive dissonance. So you've, you've accepted this answer, or maybe you even went back to one of your old answers, the old comfortable answer, right? And you've tried to reconcile it, and you're like, good enough. But really, under the surface, there's still, there's still a lot going on. There's still a lot of conflict, and there's still a lot of things that haven't been fully resolved but it's almost like you're ignoring it. So after being stuck in the existential crisis phase for however long, this false resolution, it's, it's a bit of relief in a way. And you might even convince yourself, oh, I think I'm doing better. I, I, and, and really, maybe you are, right? But I, I think it's a bit of a false relief because I don't think this false resolution stage is permanent. I think eventually you will probably fall back into the existential crisis. I think in this phase, there's a lot of rationalization, especially if you haven't fully let go of the problem belief or the problem value. So, you know, how do you get into an existential crisis in the first place? Well, there's probably a number of ways, but I think it could be some kind of life event or, you know, like what happens if, for example, you're, you're part of a religion that believes that you have a God that takes care of you no matter what. And then all of a sudden your child dies of cancer. Something like that is a perfect catalyst into an existential crisis because you begin to question. You're like, well, I believe these certain things about, about my God. He was supposed to take care of me. He's, you know, if I did the right things, he will take care of my kid. And now my kid died, right? So you, you've got a contradiction there. So you, your, your brain will be very uncomfortable with that. So you kind of have two choices. You can either abandon the belief entirely and say that was false, or you almost have to kind of redefine the belief and, and rationalize that action as still being okay with the belief. And maybe that process works. Maybe you had the wrong idea beforehand. But 
I think what happens with a lot of people is it's sort of this rationalization of an old belief. And again, it's sort of a cognitive bias, cognitive dissonance. And it's not fully rationalized, but kind of good enough for now. So I think another thing about this phase is a somewhat weak identity. It's like you've left your identity behind in the pre-existential crisis phase, and you it's it's fragile. And so I think people in this phase, they need a lot of encouragement. They need a lot of reassurance. Otherwise, you know, it could be really self-conscious, I think. And it's this sort of feeling of, yeah, like they're trying to reassure themselves that they're okay, I think. And then I think eventually in this false resolution phase, the doubts will return. And if you kind of just stay in this phase, it's almost like your personal growth will kind of be stalled. You know, in the worst case, you'll kind of just deny the conflict altogether. And it's sort of like this denial of conflict. And it's just like, push that away, don't think about it. And now they're kind of just stuck in this low level, anxious, depressed state. Um, I know this because I've, I've been there, right? Like I, there's lots of things that I don't know how to reconcile. I want to fix it but I don't know how. So I'm not criticizing people that are stuck in the state because I think I've spent a good amount of time in this state. It's sort of like you spent all this time trying to figure it out, you couldn't figure it out, and then you're kind of just left stuck. But I think the danger of the false resolution stage is eventually this, these doubts will return and then you will slip back into the existential crisis. And it, you know, it, it could be a catalyst that does it. Maybe it's like seasonal depression, right? Like I. I traditionally just don't do well in the early winter. You know, it gets really dark and that can just cause me to slip right back into it. I have to say though, I think things have been a lot better for me the last few years. So that's why I feel like I am on a path and it is getting better. So if the innocent prelude phase was like peace and the existential crisis was like war, it's almost like the false resolution phase is like a ceasefire. It's sort of like temporary peace, but you know everybody's still, they're not happy, right? So how do you get to that final phase, which is like that true peace? So for me, I wanna call this the embrace of mystery. Because the reality is, if you're the type of person who questions a lot, and you're the type of person who you know, deconstructs things to try to find the reasons underneath it all. The reality is, is that you may not find the answers because at the end of the day, you may have more questions than there are answers. They just, we just don't know, right? Like, it's like science. Well, why do certain things happen on like the subatomic level? We, there's, there's things we just don't know. That doesn't mean they're undiscoverable. It just means we haven't figured it out yet. So how do we get to the place where we're comfortable even though we don't have all the answers. What is the mean in my life? Well, I think it might be this, but I'm still trying to figure it out. And you know what? I'm still at peace while I do that. See, the existential crisis says, until I have an answer to this, I'm gonna be super stressed out and I'm, I'm not gonna be okay. So like I said, it's the embrace of the mystery. The mystery of not having all the answers. It's like going into the unknown with an openness. This really does fall into existentialism. And maybe other people solve this whole thing with a different philosophy. 
So existentialism is a type of philosophy that kind of like, if I had to define it, it rests on the feeling that there is no grand meaning. Why can't I find the meaning? Well, it's because it doesn't exist. Uh, nihilism also believes this, except nihilism and existentialism kind of come to a different conclusion about what you should do about it. As a result, existentialism says you need to create your own meaning or purpose. You will not find meaning or purpose outside of yourself. It is not something to go and find. It is not something to go seek and find it over there behind that mountain. It is something that you create. So now you're like the artist of meaning. So on one hand, this sounds very complicated. Oh no, now you have to manufacture meaning. But I, I don't think it's supposed to be complicated. I think it can be very simple. And so Alan Watts has this quote, and it basically says, the meaning of life is simply to be alive. It's simply to exist and experience. To experience being alive. That's the meaning of life. That's the purpose. And I think this is the part that really involves going inside yourself. What do you want? What makes you happy? Different people are made happy by different things. You know, you take somebody like Elon Musk. That guy, you know, he amazes me on so many different levels. Here he is building electric cars, but then he's also building rockets, and they're going to go to the moon. They're going to build a moon base. He's going to go to Mars. He wants to make life multiplanetary so that if an asteroid comes and kills everybody on Earth, well, then the human race will still survive. Like, I, that guy has a different meaning than what I have. I'm not trying to create rockets to go to the moon. I realize not everybody likes Elon Musk, but I think that he does have a bit of a grasp. I've, I've listened to what he says in his interviews, and he seems to understand that he is responsible for making his own meaning, and this is what he's decided to do with his time. So other people might you know, be artists and create meaning just through their art. Other people, you know, they'll have kids and find meaning in these interactions with their family members. And some people are just really good mothers, fathers. Other people are terrible mothers and fathers, and they really shouldn't have kids. <laughs> um, maybe those people define me in some other way. But I think it's a mistake to assume there is a meaning outside of ourselves. Of course, many religious people will probably disagree with me, right? Because to them, meaning is defined as something outside of themselves. Maybe it's God that defines that meaning for you. Um, and, you know, to be honest, that's your own responsibility to figure out. But for me, the problem is I've spent so much time trying to find that meaning. Uh, I want something that makes sense. And I've basically come to the conclusion that I can't find it. Maybe I'm not asking the right question. Maybe I don't even know the question to ask in order to answer the question. <laughs> Another thing about this post phase is I think that you don't define your identity based on these values and beliefs anymore that you can't support or that don't make sense to you, right? So I think that's why the peace is here. Because your foundation is fixed. You've built a new foundation. And it's built on things that are comfortable to you. So in the end, I think people that have made it through this, they don't question their identity as much anymore. They know who they are. And I think that's that's one thing that I really want. It's one thing that I'm kind of craving is I want that feeling that I am who I am and I don't feel embarrassed about it. And it's like, well, if you don't like me, well, then fine. But I'm not changing myself because 
this is me. I have no choice, right? This is the person that I am. So another piece of the puzzle for me is how do I reconcile all the nonsense in the world? I have a tendency to be too serious about it. It's sort of a letting go of the absurdity of the world. You know, I look out and I think it's very easy for me to be super serious about what's going on. But I think what I've, I don't know if I've learned it or I've convinced myself of it or what, but it's just the way I see the world now. It's like I see the world as a type of absurdity. It's uncontrollable. It's chaos. There is no way for me to control it. I can observe it if I want. Maybe I can help here and there. The reality is there's this acceptance I have now that the world is absurd. <laughs> um, it's sort of like, a, it's like a, a humor. There's a humor to it. And I realize there's all kinds of pain and horrible things going on, but there's also this deep cosmic, it's like a, it's like a comedy. It's like a, it's like a dark comedy. And so there's another philosophy called absurdism. And it's a sort of a flavor of existentialism. And so I'm going to do another video on this because I, I want to talk a little bit more about nihilism, existentialism, and then absurdism, which is sort of the, the route I think I've chosen to take. So I also want to do another video, and maybe like a part two of this video will be how specifically the INFJ personality, which I've talked a lot about INFJs on this channel, how does the INFJ go through existential crisis? And sort of what is the unique relationship between these INFJs and existential crisis? I think there's more going on there. So I'm going to talk about that in a future video. If there's any questions you have or any comments or things you kind of want to add to this conversation, feel free to put them in the comments below. Anyway, I hope that was useful. Let me know in the comments. Have a good day. See ya.